Thank you for tuning in to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. To keep connected with us, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and join our Calvary Connection. The vision of our church is to make Jesus famous. When Jesus is famous, everything changes, and he becomes our passion because his love is better than life. Today's message is from our monthly growth nights that are on the first Sunday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Christina Holdridge teaches about being Jesus' famous women. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here again. Okay, um, behind me, you guys are going to see a scrolling, um, what's that called? Screen? <laughs> um, and I think it's going to stop once I really start to get into the teaching, and then it's going to go back on for you when my teaching is done. And what that is, is some amazing resources Um, Some of them I will reference tonight. One of them I referenced last teaching. And these are books that are just so near and dear to my heart and really valuable for the topic that we're talking about tonight. So if you just wanna, some of them are biographies. Some of them are just like practical how-to Christian living books. Um, So if you are in the mood and in need of a good book that will build up your faith, jot some of these names down and kindle it or library it, but these are books that are, like I said, are really near and dear to my heart, have really built up my faith, and I just wanted to point you to some of those resources. But um, Bernard, if you wouldn't mind stopping it now so that everybody doesn't just look back there at the whole teaching, (laughs) Um, that would be great. Okay, well, hi. Um, I'm not going to start out tonight with an embarrassing story about myself, but there is one coming later in the teaching, so you're so lucky. Um, Another embarrassing moment in my life. But I did want to start tonight out by telling you some stories about some other women. So in 2016, Helen Rosevere, she died, and she had walked with God since 1945 when she was 20 years old. At 28, Helen had completed medical school And then she was trained as a medical missionary, and she had just started her work in the Congo. Now, in spite of experiencing, personally, desperate poverty, illness, trials, um, war, and its horrific outcomes firsthand, a really long list of massive personal disappointments, rape, Helen walked with God her whole life. In 2004, Darlene Diebler-Rose died. In 1938, Darlene and her husband had arrived in an island in Indonesia called Java. It was there that their plan was to serve as missionaries. And they served there as missionaries for a few years, just a couple of years, and um, Japanese soldiers came and they took over the island in an effort to win World War II. And so Darlene was separated from her husband and placed in a Japanese internment camp. And there, Darlene endured torture and starvation and disease and heartbreak every day for four years. But even in the face of humanity's worst evils, with a disease-riddled body, with the death of her dearest friends and her husband, Darlene walked with God her whole life. After the war ended, 
and she physically had recovered, she even returned to the mission field for the next 35 years, all out of her love for Jesus. She walked with God her whole life. There's the story of Esther on Kim. She walked with God in the face of extreme persecution in Korea. Um, Because she refused to deny her faith, she endured many, many years of a harsh prison sentence. But when she was released, and for the next 40 years, for the rest of her life, Esther tirelessly served God in a multitude of ways. She church planted, she did missions work, she did personal evangelism. Esther walked with God her whole life. You guys might know the stories of Elizabeth Elliot or Corey Ten Boom or Sojourner Truth or Phyllis Wheatley. These are women who faced immense trials, excruciating circumstances, and yet they stayed faithful to their Lord. And then there's the stories of maybe like your mothers or your grandmothers or your great-grandmothers, women who lived maybe more private lives, lives we don't write books about, but they too faced struggles and difficulties and challenges, and still, they walked with God till the end. And then there's the women in scripture. There's Sarah and Leah and Rahab and Abigail and Mary and Priscilla. That's just to name a few. These women, man, they stayed faithful to the Lord till their very last breath. You see, Hebrews 12 is right, ladies. We really are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There are thousands and thousands of women from every country, every time and moment in history who have faced every difficulty, every cultural philosophy, every pain, who have loved and followed Jesus till their very last breath because the fame of Christ was so alive in their hearts that they could not separate themselves from their allegiance to him. But in 2022, it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? We have 24-hour news cycles and social media that put on blast all the unfaithful Christians, the ones who have let us down, and it feels like it happens all the time. And then there's the people we know personally who for one reason or another are no longer following Jesus. And it can be confusing and discouraging and even cause us to have our own questions about what we believe. But I'm here to tell you tonight, it is possible. It is possible for you and for me and for our sons and for our daughters and our husbands and our friends. It's possible for us to walk with God till we breathe our last breath. No tragedy, no trial, no cultural philosophy or temptation has to win. The account of our lives can be the same as Darlene Diebler and Esther on Kim and Phyllis Wheatley and all the others who went before us. Because Jesus' famous women can, and they do, walk with God their whole lives. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Our passage of scripture is from John 8. So if you want to turn in there, it's just one verse we're going to look at tonight. John 8, 12. There, it says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I... And the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I believe that this verse encapsulates everything we need to know about how to walk with God our whole lives. In it are the things that we need to know and the things we need to do. And so that's how our teaching's gonna go. We're gonna break up our time into two big sections. First, <clears throat> excuse me. <coughs> I have a little tickly throat tonight, guys, sorry. First from John 8, 12, we're gonna look at what we need to know in order to stay faithful from, to God for our whole life. And next, we're gonna look at what we need to do to follow him. So let's jump in to what we need to know. Now, it's important to know, to kind of recognize that what we know, what we believe about something absolutely affects our actions. That's kind of a given, right? And those actions are more or less impacted depending on the degree to which we believe something. Let me give you an example. Okay, let's say that I've done a bunch of research on vitamins. I've read loads of articles, I've talked with multiple doctors and specialists, <clears throat> and I've talked to a bunch of people I know that take vitamins, and I've come to the conclusion that taking vitamins is really valuable for your health. To the degree that I believe this, my actions will be affected. To the degree that I believe this is true, my actions are gonna be affected. So, let's say I believe it in, enough, in vitamins enough to invest $35 a month. So I invest $35 a month in vitamins, and maybe I even discipline myself to take that vitamin every day. Now, I never did that before, so clearly what I believe about vitamins has now affected my actions. But let's take it a little further. What if the vitamins cost $55? Do I believe in the vitamins enough to spend $55? What if I lose my job or my income depletes? Do I believe still so much in the value of vitamins that I'm gonna do whatever it takes to purchase them? What if vitamins give me a stomach ache? What if the only way to take them is to set an alarm for like 2 a.m. to wake up to take the vitamin? Do I believe in vitamins so much that I will endure stomach aches and middle of the night wake up calls just to take them? How about food? At the most basic level, what we believe about food also dictates our actions about it, right? We believe so strongly in food that it's good and necessary for our health that we eat it four times a day. Now, I spend lots of my money on food. I prepare food every day. I make time to eat food. <coughs> I make time to meal plan to prepare lists, to grocery shop. Like in any given week, I probably spend between 14 and 20 hours on food, literally. No matter how much money I have, I'm gonna spend some of it on food, right? I really believe that I need food to stay alive. Now, I know the analogy breaks down because food is not just necessary for survival, but it's super yummy, right? <coughs> and our bodies quickly are screaming at us if we don't have enough of it. So eating food is not just an act of discipline or faith. But you get the idea. The more I believe in the value of something, the more my actions are going to be affected by it, right? Well, 
In John 8, 12, Jesus really wants us to know. He really wants us to believe two important things about himself. And the degree to which we believe these things is the degree to which our lives will be changed. Now, the first thing that Jesus wants us to learn about himself (coughs) is very obvious. He says it quite plainly. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, there's two kinds of light. There's physical light, like the sun and the moon, and there's spiritual light. Jesus here is claiming to be spiritual light. He wants us to know that he's not a light, one of many spiritual lights, but he is the light, the only, the exclusive spiritual light. And he's not just the light to some people in some places or times. He's the light to the whole world, for everyone, for all time. (coughs) Now, what exactly does that mean? Now, there's a few different understandings of light in Scripture, but often, and right here, I think it's helpful for us to think about what light does. Light exposes truth, right? Light shows us what's really going on. And the brighter the light, the more accurate we're going to see everything. Have you ever experienced this before? Here's my personal embarrassing story. A couple of Sundays ago, we pulled into the church parking, I pulled into the church parking lot, and I popped down my rear, my driver's side mirror just to pop a little lipstick on, and it happened to be a very especially sunny day. And as I looked into the mirror with that sun shining so brightly on my face, I gasped out loud. (laughs) Because right there, in plain sight, right above my lip was this super dark hair sticking out for the whole world to see. Now, I had totally looked in the mirror that morning plenty. I'd put my makeup on, brushed my teeth, done my hair, put my clothes on. I had spent plenty of time in the, in the front of the mirror, but I had not seen that little hair all morning long. But you see, the light in my bathroom, the light in my bedroom, they're nowhere near as bright as that broad daylight sun shining on my face in that moment. And all the light did was expose what was there all along, right? And sadly, I could do nothing about it. <laughs> I just had to make sure I stayed out of the bright, broad daylight. <laughs> Only the dark. No, I'm just kidding. It's really not that big of a deal because there are way too many beauty products sold for me to think that I'm the only one that has issues like that. So it's not that big of a deal. But the light exposed what's actually there, right? So when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, He's saying, I am the only one who can show you real spiritual truth. I'm the only one who can reveal to you what happens when you die, what you are made for, how you work best, who you really are. I am the only one. (coughs) And think about the contrast to light. Jesus uses the contrast right here in this verse. He says, he who follows me will not walk in darkness. Darkness is the opposite of light. When we're in darkness, we don't really know what's going on. Like when I ram my knee on the edge of my bed, when I have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I didn't, the bed was there all along, but I didn't see it. I didn't know what was actually there. 
Darkness keeps us from knowing the truth. Spiritual darkness keeps us from knowing spiritual truth. And Jesus, with Jesus, we can always know the spiritual truth. And apart from Jesus, it's just not possible. He says, if you're apart from him, you're walking in darkness. Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to deeply believe that he and he alone is the light of the whole world. Pastor and author Sam Albury, he explained it in a really compelling way. He said, this is why when we read the words that Jesus spoke or we study the life of Jesus, so often we feel exposed, like our true hearts or our true motives have been seen because he is the light of the world. Now Jesus says something else about himself here. It's a little less obvious, but look at it with me. He says, he that follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus wants us to know that. He wants us to know that with him and him alone is life. John 14, 6, you guys know it, I bet. It's, he says, Jesus says, talking about himself, we sang it tonight. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 6, 35, he calls himself the bread of life. And he says, if we partake of him, we'll never hunger. John 10, 10, this is the best one. He says, I have come that they may have life. And that life more abundantly. With Jesus is life. Yes, eternal life after death. But more than that, so much more than that, you guys. With Jesus is abundant, thriving fulfilling, soul-satisfying life right now. And do we know this? I mean, do we really believe this? Think about it this way. Do we believe that apart from Jesus, soul-thriving isn't possible? Do we believe that any idea that is at odds with Jesus's words, any idea that promises to fill up our hearts without him is actually, like he said, stealing from us, killing us, destroying our souls. Do we actually believe that? Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to deeply believe that with him and him alone is spiritual life. And these two attributes, they really go together. Okay. Jesus says, he that follows me will have the light of life. Because really, real spiritual understanding leads us to real spiritual aliveness, to thriving. It's like Jesus is saying that we're in a pitch black room and without him. But with him, we have this huge flashlight. And it's leading us and it's saying, go here. This is where real life is. Go over here, that's where you could be made whole. Hey, right over here, that's where abundance for your heart is. He's saying he is the source of all spiritual revelation and life. Now these are pretty big claims that Jesus is making about himself, right? He's the only source of truth or life. But I want you to know that we have a really great reason to be confident in these claims. In fact, I'm here to tell you, you can be 100% confident in these claims. 
And how do I know this? Because he resurrected from the dead. Romans 1.4 says it this way. It, sa- it says, <clears throat> and he has shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We know that Jesus is God, that all the claims he made about himself are true because he resurrected from the dead. So then we can just have so much confidence. We can really know, hey, he, he resurrected. So what he said about being the only truth and the only life, it's absolutely true. Now, before we move on, I want you to notice that the message of the gospel is really shining through in this verse too. You see, when we come under the light of the world, like Sam Albury described, our real hearts are exposed. He shows us what we actually are, imperfect sinners, right? Greedy, selfish, prideful, self-righteous. And while we might be able to cover it up pretty well with others, under the light of Jesus, it's really revealed. We see what's actually there. So that's part of the gospel message. But also with Jesus, we have hope, right? Because John 8, 12, our verse tonight, it says that we can have him. He says, he that follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Because the great light of the world who never fell or did anything sinful, because he laid down his life on the cross, we get to have him. So we can have his righteousness instead of our unrighteousness. We can have his spirit that enables us to walk with him and to follow him in the things that will give us real life. Now, how, do knowing, now how does knowing these two things keep us faithful to him? Well, think about this with me for a minute. Truth and abundant life, man, those are two of the most common reasons that people are walking away from God. What I mean is so often people walk away from the Lord because they think they found some kind of spiritual revelation or some kind of heart satisfaction apart from him. Many people, for example, will say that we live in a post-truth society. That, you know, even though they grew up maybe in a home where they were taught that all spiritual truth comes from Jesus, now they've grown up and they've decided to believe that truth is relative. It's not absolute. What's true for you doesn't have to be true for me. And so they walk away from Jesus as the exclusive source of truth. But of course, that claim is a truth claim in itself, right? I mean, by declaring that no moral truth that's absolute for anyone at all times, there are no moral truths that are absolute for anyone at all times. You yourself are making an absolute claim. But We don't really live in a post-truth society. I think we live in a who's true society. See, I think we live in a time where people are deciding for themselves who has the truth, not if there is truth, although they may not say it that way. And so, so many people who once believed in Jesus as the source of all spiritual truth, they've walked away from him and believed other ideologies that they think are superior sources of spiritual truth outside of Jesus. But we see right here that Jesus says that he alone is the light of the world. And we just remembered that his resurrection proves that to be true. So how do we walk with God our whole lives? We cling to Jesus alone as the light 
the revealer of all spiritual truth. And I, I want to encourage you tonight to tune into the subtle messages of culture, of friends, of your own heart, that can draw us away from that. And it's often really slow, but eventually we get pushed into believing that spiritual truth can be found apart from him. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's really subtle. And how about life? Jesus said that he alone is the source of vibrant, abundant life. And because he resurrected, we can know that that's true. But again, so many people are turning away from Jesus because they think they found real life apart from him. So often for them, following Jesus is like a boring set of moral rules to follow. And apart from Jesus is an exciting, fulfilling life to be lived. So women might turn, you know, to a career or a hobby or a relationship or a political viewpoint, anything that gives her validation or meaning or purpose or fills a void or takes a neediness away. All the time, people are walking away rather than with God because they don't really believe that life is found in him. But nothing could be further from the truth. Sure, sin a life apart from God, it can be pleasurable for a time. It's dishonest not to acknowledge that. Scripture does. But the greatest, the most fulfilling, the most satisfying, the most enduring and joy-giving life, that can only be found with Christ. And so when an Instagram account or a political pundit or a teacher or my own heart promises me fulfillment for my soul, but it's separate from Jesus, I have to reject that. Remember when I said that the more we believe something, the more our actions will be affected by it? That's really true for these claims of truth in life. So if I want to stay solid in my belief of Jesus as the light of life, it might mean that I stop following an Instagram account. Maybe I notice that my heart gets distant from Jesus and I start thinking that other things will fill me up. Maybe, maybe I stop listening to a podcast that really elevates to supreme importance things that Jesus said weren't all that important. Maybe, maybe it means upping my intake of worship music and Bible teaching and fellowship with mature believers. Because I really believe what Jesus said about himself is true. And so my actions can show that. I can take action to protect my heart from things that will draw me away, and I can take action to pursue things that will encourage it. And so that's what Jesus wants us to know, to walk with him our whole life, that he is that source of all spiritual truth and all life. Now look at the verse again, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See that verb in there? He who follows me. In order to walk with Jesus for our whole life, we have to follow him. This is our do section of the teaching tonight. We know what we need to know now. Now, we need to know what we need to do. And what we need to do is follow him. So what does following Jesus look like? Well, 
Think about it practically. In order to follow someone, like a person, like a physical person, you have to see them or hear them, and then you just have to do what they say, right? So we, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to tune our ears in to hear Jesus' voice, and then we need to try to obey him. And the two greatest resources that we have at our disposal are the word and prayer. So for the rest of my teaching, I'm just going to be super, super practical with you. I'm going to give you the nuts and bolts of what it looks like to be in the word and to have a prayer life. I'm just going to try to tangibly flesh out how you can develop these habits in your life because this is, these are the resources we have at our disposal for following Jesus. All right? In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by the devil and he quoted Deuteronomy 8, 3. I think you probably heard this one before. He said this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, right there in that moment, he declared that God's word is absolutely necessary for life. So if we're to live spiritually, if we're to follow him and walk with him our whole life, we've got to believe the same thing about his word. Jesus also said in John 10 that his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. A steady diet of God's word, that's going to give us a consistent, regular opportunity to try and see, to try and hear the very one that we're trying to follow. I mean, how could we otherwise? It feels impossible. Donald Whitney, in his book on spiritual disciplines, one of the books that's up there, um, he says this, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute for it. There is simply no Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and the meat of scripture. And remember, following him daily, that is what will keep us walking with him for our whole life. So, tonight, we're going to look briefly at five ways to interact with God's word so that we can follow him. And before we get into those five things, I just want you to keep a few things in mind. So, just get ready. Like I said, it's going to be a nuts and bolts part of the night. It's going to be almost listy. Get ready, take notes. But keep these things in mind. Okay, first, no consistent intake of God's word is going to happen unless we plan for it unless we prioritize it, and unless we protect it. We have to make a plan. We have to make a plan for where and when we will read the Bible. And then we have to commit to that plan. We have to commit to it being one of the most important things that we will do every day. And then we have to protect that plan. It might mean we go to bed earlier, or we set backup alarms, or we turn off other devices that will distract us. We have to do whatever it takes to protect that time. Now, I've been in seasons of my own life where I've asked Nate, my husband, to be my backup alarm because I've just had a hard time getting out of bed, So, and he gets up earlier than me, so I'll say, like, hey, if I'm not up at this and this time, can you just come and give me a nudge? Because sometimes I need help getting out of bed, and I really want to be in God's Word. There have been seasons where when my girls were really young and really needy and getting up really early, that Nate and I planned together the times that I could get in the word and pray because I just couldn't do it and juggle them at the same time. There have been times in my life that I've had to drive somewhere just to be in my car totally alone 
so that I could read and pray because everything in my whole environment was just a constant reminder of my responsibilities and I just had a really hard time focusing. And there have been a hundred times that all my attempts to read my Bible and pray have totally failed because of my own weaknesses or the stuff of life. But if we're just, if we're not constantly trying, if we're not planning and prioritizing and protecting time for his word, it's just never gonna happen. And how am I supposed to follow him if I can't hear his voice every day? And then there's another thing to keep in mind. Psalm 119, verse 18, it says this. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might see wonderful things from your word. You see, when you and I get into the word, we're totally dependent on God's spirit. We need God to open up our eyes if we're to understand or be able to apply his word at all. So, When you do get to scripture, just humble yourself before him. Invite his spirit in that moment right there to just interact with you while you take in his word. Okay, now we're on our five things. How do we do it? What do we do with the word? There are a million books on there on this and they can tell you a million other ways, but I'm gonna just try to be really basic. Read it. That's one way, okay? Read the Bible plan, make a plan for how you're going to read it, but plan to read the Bible. You might get a one or a two-year Bible reading plan. You might start from Genesis and go through every book of the Bible till you get through Revelation. You might read a chapter in the Old Testament, then read a chapter in the New. You might read through big chunks of Scripture really quickly or small chunks of Scripture really slowly. Whatever you do, take time to read it for yourself. And I would encourage you to at least read through whole books of the Bible. Even if it takes you months just to read one book of the Bible, don't just like shotgun the verses. Don't read like a verse here and a verse there. That wasn't God's intention when he wrote it. So even if you don't go Genesis all the way through Revelation, read whole books of the Bible at any pace you'd like. And on this point about reading the Bible, I would like you to consider that... um, Just think about, is there any room for you to change up what you're doing? Sometimes it's important for us to evaluate our quiet times and kind of ask the Lord, like, is there something fresh you want me to do with this time? Is there something different for me? Maybe it's a different version of the Bible to awaken your heart. Maybe it's a different method of reading your Bible that the word could be illuminated to you in fresh ways. But consider and think about how am I reading my Bible and is this what God's calling me to? Is this what's giving me life right now, this year, this month? Like for years, I have been reading my Bible. I've been having my quiet time in the same way. And honestly, I loved it. I loved it. I would read as little or as much as I wanted and I would always read through an entire book of the Old Testament and then I would read an entire book of the New Testament. So I'd like read the whole book of Genesis as fast or slow as I felt in the moment. And then I would read like Matthew so, and so on and so forth. And <clears throat> it usually took me about three years to get through the Bible. And that was totally fine with me. Um, but last year, last December, I had been reading an article about a Bible reading plan. And I really felt the Lord just kind of nudging me to try something new. And so here I am. I'm like 13 or 14 weeks into my new Bible reading plan, and it's been really great. Uh, At times, 
my new style is a little bit difficult because it's a lot of chapters in a day. It's a one-year reading plan, and I'm not really used to that. So sometimes it's tough, but on the other hand, I've really gained a lot out of it because I'm reading so many chapters each day that I'm getting this really cool big picture of the whole story of the Bible. And I'm getting these big ideas and themes that are standing out to me that just really never stood out to me before. So it's been really refreshing. And I'm not saying that one way or another way is right or better. I'm just saying, consider. Consider how you're reading the Bible and see if the Lord has got maybe a different, new, fresh approach for you. So the second way of interacting with scripture is by meditating on it, thinking about it. Psalm 1 teaches this, right? It says, the blessed person is not only the one who reads the Bible, but the person who meditates on it day and night. That just simply means taking time, pausing to think about what you've read. So for me, I'll be honest, this takes discipline. It's really easy to read a chapter or two, close my Bible, and tell myself I'm done for the day. But when I do that, it's like what I read just goes in one ear and right out the other. So personally, if I don't take some minutes to meditate on what I read, quiet times are just not very useful. You can write about what you read. You can pray through what you read. You can sit in silence and think about what you read, but I'm really encouraging you to put some effort in to meditating on what you read. This is how we follow the light of the world. Now for me, all three of those things, writing and, and sitting silently and praying through, that could happen in just a few minutes. It's not like this big, daunting, you need two hours kind of quiet time. For me, I might read a couple chapters and then I'll just sit and take a few minutes to think quietly with the Lord about what I just read. And then I'll just process a little bit further in a journal. I mean like five, 10 minutes. And then for me, I finish my time with prayer. So then my prayer time, I'm just praying through some of the things that I just read, the truths and encouragements. Sometimes, like you all, I'm short on time. So I'll just read and I'll pray through what I read. No journaling or silence. Sometimes I'll read and journal only. But again, if I don't take the time to meditate, so much of the depth and the application of what I read is just totally lost on me. So meditate on God's scripture. Now for you, you might be feeling like, okay, I understand the need for scripture meditation and all the avenues like journaling and all the things, but like, how do you get anything meaningful to jump off the pages and into your heart. Well, that old Donald Whitney book I quoted from earlier, he gives 17 different methods of reading your Bible, and they're not hard. They're not like scholastic. So if you really want a how-to, you could get that book, 17 ways. But I'll just tell you what I do. My method in general is read, and then I summarize right there in, my moment, in a moment. What did I just read? I summarize it in my head. Jesus did this, Jesus did this. I just think about it. Sometimes I write it down. And then after I've summarized, I just think about and write about, what did I see about God there? Maybe he said it plainly, like, I am holy. Maybe he showed me in a story or a picture <coughs> from the text. I just think about the things that I'm seeing about God, and I write them down. And then I think about, what do I see about myself? And then I write those things down, and then I pray them through. Again, that's not the only way. That's not a perfect way. There are lots of ways, but please take some minutes 
to read and then really meditate on scripture. So those are the two primary ways to interact with God's word. But there are other important ways to interact with God's word too. How about memorizing it? That's a third way. There really is something beautiful and special about having God's word so hidden in your heart that you can just call it up to memory at any time. Maybe you memorize verses on a specific subject so that you can guard your heart and your mind. Maybe you struggle with fear or worry, so you memorize the passages about fear and worry. Or maybe you just choose to memorize something that stood out to you in your reading. Either way, regular scripture memorization can really be a great way of storing up the treasures of God's word so that you can recall them later, so you can follow him. Another way to interact with God's word, number four, listen to teaching on God's word. Now, I would encourage you (coughs) to plan for, prioritize, and protect gathering at least once a week at a church service where you're going to hear God's word being taught. But also, I'm encouraging you to get in as much Bible teaching as you can. There are so many amazing podcasts and books out there, you guys. God's word, there are teachers who can explain God's word in really super helpful ways. And I would say that if you don't know about those resources, ask around. There are people here in this church, maybe in your life group, maybe in a discipleship group, or maybe just uh, somebody mature you know, like your mom or something. Ask people, what, what do you do? What do you listen to? Look for good resources on Bible teaching. It's also great to have a few at, at your sort of at your disposal. Like you're not just reliant on this one podcast or this one book. And there are so many that it's great to have a whole bunch of resources at your disposal. Okay, finally, fifth way to interact with God's word. Fellowship about it. Make room in your life for this one. Make room in your life for talking with other people, other believers, I mean specifically, about God's word. Make it a priority to go to a life group or a discipleship group or some other kind of small group where you can have some discussion about God's word. Maybe it can also happen with your husband over dinner or a good friend over coffee. Maybe it's all of those things, but find ways to regularly incorporate that kind of interaction. You know, God described his church as a body for a reason. We need each other. And part of that need is met by hearing about how God is speaking to other believers, how they're hearing scripture, what they're seeing about God from his word, how they're understanding themselves from his word. All of us, corporately, we will better see and better hear and better follow Jesus when we listen to other believers interact with God's word. So in all five things, Our aim is not to walk in darkness, but to follow the light of life for our whole lives. And so to do that, I'm just encouraging you guys, make a habit of interacting with God's word every day. Okay, there's one more. Remember I said there were two resources at our disposal? The next one is prayer. And prayer is the other really crucial element to following Jesus. So Here we go, we're gonna get into it again. Some nuts and bolts on prayer. But in one sense, following Jesus, sorry, means doing what he did on earth, right? And the gospels, they give us account 
after account after account of Jesus praying. So following Jesus is doing what he did, and so we pray. Also throughout scripture, we see that prayer is both expected and it's commanded. Jesus said things like, when you pray, okay? He even taught us how to pray because he expected that we would. So if he expected it, it must be part of following him. <clears throat> Colossians 4.2 tells us to continue earnestly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. These are commands to pray. So if God is commanding us in his word to do it, well, we got to follow him by obeying that. And on top of all of that, Prayer means following the light of the world because it's this beautiful place that we get to interact with him. It's the space where we get to bring him our questions and our burdens and our requests and our thanksgivings. It's, it's there that we get to bring them all to him right at his throne of grace. And it's there in prayer that we get to listen for the light of the world to respond to us. And when you're in prayer, it's there that he does those things like nudging your heart in a certain direction. It's there that he'll bring his word to your mind that might bring clarity to a circumstance. It's there while you're in prayer that he might lift your burden or lighten your load. Prayer helps us follow him because we get to interact with him. And as we do it, prayer can be like this rope that tethers us to Jesus. It keeps us walking with him our whole lives. So what does prayer look like? How do we develop a prayer life? Well, remember, I said the regular, <clears throat> for the regular intake of God's word to happen, we had to plan for it, prioritize it, and protect it. The same is true for prayer. The same is true for prayer. If we don't have a thoughtful plan of when and how we're going to pray, and we don't have a willingness to make that prayer time, even if it's short, like a daily must, and we don't make a vigilant effort to protect time in prayer, well, then it's just going to be one of those things that we always wish we were doing, but never really actually do. So make a plan. Make a plan to pray. I always personally anchor my prayer time with my Bible reading time. Maybe you read your word in the morning and you go on a prayer walk at lunch on your lunch break. Just make a plan and then prioritize that plan and protect that plan. Of course, there is really great value in those moment by moment in the minute prayers, you know, those spontaneous ones. Like, thank you, Jesus, you just help me do that or like praise when something great happens or prayers of help right in the moment like oh lord i need your help in this moment but and those are really good they're but they're not the only kind of prayer that should happen in our lives i think that jesus taught us the lord's prayer because he wanted something a little bit more from us like he wants us to depend on those on him for those things in the moment but he also wants us to develop a life and a habit and a rhythm of committed prayer now, for those of you in that boat that are always wishing you did pray more, but you never seem to get around to it, I want to say a couple of practical things. The first thing I want to say is that prayer really is learned, and it's something that we grow in our whole lives. 
So think of it <clears throat> as something you're growing in, not as something you're gonna master right away. I don't mean like right and wrong prayers. I mean the ability to pray, to pray for a certain length of time, to know what to pray for. It's something that we grow in. And I think if we think like, I don't have to master this. I can just jump in and go for five minutes here. You know, if we, if we think about it that way, it can be so much less daunting and we can actually try to begin the habit. I think one great way to begin a prayer habit, this is a little weird, but I, it's really helped me, is to actually just time yourself. Seriously, maybe you put a timer on your phone and you say, okay, I'm going to pray for 10 minutes. And you just commit to 10 minutes, 10 minutes of prayer every day. And then maybe you kind of get the hang of it. You're like, wow, I got room in my schedule to pray. I did this. Maybe you add another five minutes. Maybe you even increase over the years to 20 or 25 minutes. What I'm trying to say is just, just start small. Start small, but try to seek to increase the amount of time as much as possible within reason, right? I'm not saying that you should be praying for several hours a day. That's probably not very practical for very many people, but start small with a daily commitment of time and just seek to grow. Now, another tip for me is that I've had to figure out what helps me focus because that is a really hard part about prayer is like our distractible minds. So for the last couple of years for me, prayer walks, have been my saving grace. The walk kind of just frees me from distractions and the movement, maybe that's weird, but the movement kind of helps me stay focused. So I can just pray and walk at the same time, but maybe for you a walk is impossible or helpful, I don't know. But think it through. Try out different ways to stay focused in prayer. <coughs> and the more you shut down devices or you go in, like Jesus said, prayer closets, the, the more you kind of eliminate the things that can distract you, the better your focus usually is. Another way to grow in prayer, because it is this thing that we're growing in our whole lives, is to read books about prayer. Pastors and teachers who know God's word have really helpful things to say about prayer and our prayer life maturing, and there's always room to be growing. So just, I'm, I'm just trying to say, don't settle for that minimum, bare minimum, I checked it off the list kind of habit. Just keep learning and working towards a deeper and deeper, more effective and vibrant relationship with Jesus through prayer. Now, as, how, as far as like how to pray or what to pray, there's way too much to say on that subject to cover tonight. But here's a few ideas to get the ball rolling for you. In Luke 11, Jesus gave us a model of prayer. You could use that model as your launching point and just pray off of that. You could study the prayers of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, and model your prayers after this, the prayers of the New Testament. There's this like century-old acronym called ACTS. Maybe you've heard of it. Each letter stands for something. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplications like your requests. You could pray the acronym. You could pray, there's a whole book on this, through a psalm every day. So you read the psalm, and then you just pray through every line of the psalm. You read it out loud. You pray the verse out loud. You pray what it means in general. You pray what it means to you. Then you don't have to come up with all these like grand ideas because you might run out of things to pray for if you really develop a habit to pray, at least at first. 
Pray through a psalm a day. I've spent seasons of life where I make lists for every day of the week. And maybe I don't have a lot of time, so maybe my lists are really short. You know, like I'm gonna pray for these three people on Monday, I'm gonna pray for these two missionaries on Tuesday. It doesn't have to be these crazy long lists. But make a list for every day of the week of who you're going to pray for. That's another way to pray. There are so many ways to approach prayer. But my greatest encouragement to you is to do it and to continually seek to grow in it. Because this is one of the main ways. This is one of the main resources we have. The ways that we follow the light of the world. Now I want to wrap up our time together with this final thought. We started our evening together listening to stories of a few women who walked with God in spite of some very difficult odds. Nothing about their circumstances or their cultural moment made it easy for them to stay faithful to him. <clears throat> and yet they did. How? Well, after reading their biographies and knowing many other women who have done the same, I think the common ground seems to come from our verse tonight. Women like Helen Rosevere, she believed like she needed food. She believed that Jesus alone was the only source of spiritual truth in life. And then she was so convinced of that, that he was the light of the world, the light of life, that she followed him. And so she and all the women like her who went before her or came after her, they followed him. And they followed him in all these biographies. They followed him by just taking in his word every day, praying diligently and faithfully, and following their Savior's lead. Was she perfect? Far from it. It was really her imperfections, her sin, that drove her to the light of the world. But because she was convinced of who Jesus was, she just dedicated herself to following him, and she did that until she went home to heaven. And the same is possible for us. You see, there are no super Christians. No Jesus-famous women who've been given some extra special superpower to stay faithful to God, or given some extra easy life where it wouldn't be hard. Nope. We all start from the same place broken and sinful and prideful and empty women who need the light of the world. We need him to save us and we need him to, him to show us the way. And when we accept that, when we come under his authority for our life, when we believe that he is the light of the world and the light of life, when we pursue him by being in his word and praying regularly, we can hear him lead us. And then when we follow him, we're going to experience that genuine, abundant life that he promised. That's it. By his great grace, that is how we can walk with God our whole lives. By his great grace, we believe in him, and we believe in who he's claimed to be, and we follow him. And then our testimonies, the story of our lives, they can be the same as all the great women who followed Jesus before us. And that's it. <laughs> so let me pray for you and ask the Lord to help us <clears throat> and thank him that it's possible. And thank you for this Ricola. <laughs> um, Jesus, I'm just, I'm so grateful that we have your word to tell us things like 
you are the light of the world. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you made a way for women who are as empty and broken as us, who pursue all these other things to fill ourselves up. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you made a way for us to fill ourselves up with you, to know where real life and real truth and real abundance comes from. Lord, we have your word that tells us, but we have your son who made a way for us. We're just so grateful for that tonight. Jesus, I pray for every woman in this room and wherever she's at in her walk with you, I just pray that you would open her eyes to see wonderful things from your word so that she might take another step with you and another step with you and another step with you. I pray that we would experience abundant life, the abundant life that you promised that is with you and with no one else. And Jesus, I pray that you would make us wise to the things that are either distracting us or dissuading us from following you and pushing us towards things that will ultimately just leave us empty and hungry and hurting. Help us to see where those are happening in our own lives, even in really subtle ways, Lord. Give us the wisdom and the courage to know how to deal with them. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you that you would come and show us spiritual truth and life. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary, please visit calvary.com. We hope to see you at our next growth night on the first Sunday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Thanks, church. God bless.